welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay, uh, moving along with the, uh, with the first step of, of, of powerlessness um, is, is the, uh, it, it, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, uh, a comment uh, that, uh, on, and I'm on page uh, page uh, twenty. It says uh, you may have already asked yourself why many of us became uh, so ill from drinking or lusting, and doubtless you were curious to discover how and why, in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you're a sexaholic and wants to get over it, you may be asking, what do I have to do? It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done. Now they go on to, uh, in the next paragraph, talk about, um, um, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't uh, he, uh, why can't you drink like a gentleman or quit? Um that fella can't handle lust. Uh, why don't you uh, lay off the hard stuff? His willpower must be weak. She's such a sweet girl, I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him it would kill him, but there he is, all it up again. Now these are commonplace uh, observations we hear all the time, and back of them is a world of ignorance. We see that these expressions refer to peoples whose reactions are very different from ours. Okay. Not only is there the lack of uh, is there the lack of of the physical allergy of craving, but there's also the lack of the obsession that drives us over and over again. And over on twenty one, it says, "But what about the real alcoholic?" He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Okay? I did not start off as a, as a sexual predator, compulsive masturbator, pornography addict okay it started somewhere different and it progressed and at some point I lost all control over how much how long or what it was going to be once I got started that's the phenomenon of craving um, now I'm going to go over uh, on uh, on page 22 in the middle of the page, it says, why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it that he takes that one drink? 
Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays in respect to other matters? Skip a paragraph. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. That was not my case. I, I could go through the motions, but I was, I was angry, hair trigger, irritable. I was not a pleasant person when I was not drinking. Uh, we're equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, that something happens in both the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. Once more, the phenomenon of craving. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. Does your experience abundantly confirm that once you start the pursuit of lust, that, that something happens in the body and mental sense that makes it virtually impossible for you to stop? Yep. Because if that's not your experience, then 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 you are not. Then this book may not be written for you. But if that is your experience, you're still aboard the right train. Now these observations would be academic and pointless. I like the pointless academic. I know a few of them. (laughs) If our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting in motion the terrible cycle, I'm sorry, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Okay? If you ask him why he started the last bender, he may give you some excuses. Down at the next paragraph, once in a while he may tell you the truth, and the truth, strange to say, is he usually has more no more idea why he started than you have. There, there is the obsession that somehow, someday, he will beat the game. Do you know why you started your next to the last bench? No. <laughs> Because the one before that didn't turn out so damn good either. Okay, that's the point that we that 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 we don't know why we did it, except that we've got to believe there's there's got to be some way I can get the relief without having to pay the horrific price that at the end of my addiction the disease was exacting. Okay. Now, I'm over on uh, uh, 24. At a certain point in the drinking career of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. Now the italics. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. 
the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old thread bad idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. Okay. Are you... Do did did you is there anybody in here who who did not have some desire before they got to SA that they they wanted to stop this horrific problem that was going on and when you wanted to why didn't you just stop okay and and the reality is that our that that our our most powerful desire to stop is of absolutely no avail. We have lost the power of choice when it comes to lust. We are without mental defense. And 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 the and and the other comment I want to make is don't worry, you know, when we think about the, the suffering and humiliation, it doesn't matter whether it was my suffering and humiliation my wife's suffering and humiliation, my child's suffering and humiliation, it doesn't matter. Whatever moral beliefs I might have had had to take second uh, place to the pursuit of my addiction. <clears throat> And I like this I, this thread by our idea that we shall handle ourselves like other people. That's the obsession. I'll beat the game. I'll control and enjoy it. I'll handle myself like another person. How many of you guys remember somebody from back, I don't know where it was, a fraternity party, a bachelor party? That some, you know, there was some sort of titillating activity that, that, that involved some lust and most of the guys there uh, got a got a real laugh out of it. Maybe had some fun, but they didn't have the horrific consequences. Right. Okay. Right. See, we all know other people who can who can who who can have this experience without the horrific consequences we have, and we think there's some way that we can become like them. And and in AA, the saying is that once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it never gets to become a cucumber again. And my friends, you are all pickles. That's right. I like. And then the next one, you know, the the uh, that we we don't have the defense that keeps us putting our hands on the hot stove. It won't burn me this time. That's the obsession. Okay. When this sort of thinking, bottom of the page, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with sexaholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. Okay, who is it that can solve this problem for you? Is is she out there anywhere? How many she's have there been, or he's... That we're that 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 somehow we're going to be a, uh, the 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 solution and and it didn't work. Okay, I like therapist. Without a good therapist, I might not be sitting here tonight. However, I do not know any good therapist who claims that he or she 
can solve my my problem with alcoholism or sexaholism. <coughs> okay, is there a job that will re, that will fix my my problem? Is there a, is there a number that I can put on my bank account that will solve the problem? In fact, quite the opposite. The more money, the worse it's going to get. Okay. So there's no human aid. This is this news is just getting better by the minute, isn't it? Okay. Now, once again, they're going to repeat the four nicest words in the book. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. Now. I'm still looking for the first person. See, I'm, I, we can take the almost out of this. Okay. I'm still looking after, after 20 something years around AA. Are you the one who liked it? And none of them are. Okay. Okay. I mean, I've asked this question in groups of 500 and nobody raises their hand. Yeah, I really enjoyed that fourth and fifth step. <laughs> but we saw that it really worked in others. Okay, today in, in Detroit, Michigan, there are people who have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. Some of you know exactly who they are. Some of them are sitting in this room right now. Okay, so you have seen it work in others. Okay, and the question is, have you come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as you have been living it in active sexaholism? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so, so, uh, so basically you're, you're being offered uh, a simple kit of spiritual tools. Um, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do for ourselves. That is the solution. If you are as seriously sexaholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. So, the question that you've got to ask yourself is, was life becoming intolerable and impossible? Okay? If you, can, if you, if you think there is a, a, a non-spiritual solution for your problem, now would be a very good time to try it. Okay? Um, and and there is a there is a rationale for that, and I'm sincere about this. Two guys are sitting in an a in an essay meeting, 
both of them with 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 five days since they last acted out. One of them is, is at his second essay meeting ever, and the other has been coming to essay for eight years. Which one has a better chance of recovering from sexaholism? See, the problem is that uh, that 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 the guy is sitting in the the, the the two guys sitting in the meeting, and Har- and Harvey says something to the effect that um, if you if you um, will get a sponsor and work the steps and 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 look for victory over lust rather than just not acting out <coughs> that you can recover. And the new guy sitting there saying, wow, victory over lust. Did you hear what he said? Victory over lust and you don't ever have to act out. Did you hear that? And the guy that's been in and out says, there goes Harvey again with this damn stuff about lust. Okay. See, one one of them is is listening and learning, and the other already thinks he knows everything, and he, therefore he's unteachable. Okay, that's why I'm saying if you think there is a non spiritual solution, don't spend too terribly much time hanging around SA until you have tried that. Because if it works for you, and you don't have to do these damn 12 steps, then 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 good and great. And if it doesn't work for you, then you then then you know where the if you don't if it doesn't kill you, then you know where the solution is and you can come back here thoroughly convinced of the hopelessness and futility of life as you have been living it. You will be com- convinced that you have passed into the region from which there is no return from human aid. And you will be prepared to pick up the simple set of spiritual tools which we are laying at your feet. Now, I first started going to AA meetings in December of 1988. My sobriety date is that I celebrated in April. I actually had my last drink sometime in February, but it was it was about eight or nine years after after that that I finally figured out when I actually quit drinking. I was just a little bit impaired at the time. Um, but for that year between 1988 and 1990, while I was going to those AA meetings, I never had a slip. Because in order to have a slip, you have to quit drinking. I never quit drinking. Uh, I, I I had no intention of quitting drinking. It was very simple. I was just going to AA meetings. I was taking notes of all the differences between me and them to prove that I was not an alcoholic. I watched people come in behind me. They were getting a sponsor, working the steps, and getting well. And my life was getting progressively worse. And somewhere in in February of 19, 
90, I realized I actually January, I realized I had to quit drinking and using drugs or I was going to die. I drank once more in November, in uh, February, and that was the last drink I ever had. But I had to be convinced. And until I was convinced, it didn't matter. And, uh, and, and my, and, and my, you know, and after, and, and I continued with my sexual addiction for another couple of years before I realized that that might not be consistent with a spiritual uh, awakening. But that's just me. Uh, the question is, the question is, how how deep do you want to dig the hole? Your bottom is when you stop digging. Okay, you can recover from whatever position except dead. I've never seen dead recover. I've truly I I know people who got sober in prison. I know people who got sober and went to prison and remained sober. So as long as there's life, I believe there's hope. Okay. Now, up here about deep and effective spiritual experiences. Uh, there is a uh, little asterisk, and at the bottom of the page it says, fully explained in Appendix 2. Oh, I'm on page 25, but we're about to turn back to Appendix 2, and uh, Appendix uh, 2 is on page 567. And I'm going to ask someone who has a big book to read that... that, uh, out loud. It's a page and a half. Who's willing to read? Okay, John. John. Hey, John. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems, 
in the light of our experience, can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. Indispensable. And a quote by Herbert Spencer, There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Thank you. Now, there's some points I want to make about this. Uh, Notice that spiritual experience, spiritual awakening, personality change, and religious experiences are used synonymously in the first two paragraphs. Okay? Remember, Silkworth said that you needed to have a psychic change. Okay? That's a personality change. So whether you want to use the, the, the medical, psychological, psychiatric term, a, a broader spiritual term, or a more religious term, it doesn't matter. Okay? I will be tending to use the term spiritual rather than religious or, or psychic or psychological, but they are what they are. And we're going to look at what they are as we move forward uh, tomorrow. Um, I also want to talk about the idea of of, uh, sudden changes that in talking with most people who have recovered, the, uh, the, the awareness came... Suddenly, but it came at different points in the recovery process. Some people had it around the third step. Mine, I think, was around the fifth step. The way I heard one person uh, describe it was, this is what those guys were talking about. Okay? And, 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 and what he was describing was he didn't know, he didn't know God, he didn't know spirit of the universe, he didn't know who, what, any theological concept except that suddenly he was not alone in some power, capital P power, was working in his life and things were happening that he could not explain based on his experience as, as an active addict that now things were different and he knew he hadn't, was not capable of making that difference occur. Okay? And that was for him. It didn't, but it didn't happen the first time he walked into an essay meeting. It didn't happen. It, 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 I don't remember where he was in the process, but but that was kind of my experience. Okay, you know, it talks, and we'll go through some of this. You know, after the third step, promises and all that. And I'm thinking, man, I'm doing this wrong. But after the fifth step, it's like, oh, and that's when I realized, damn it, this son of a bitch is right. I'm gonna get well. Okay, so uh, the other thing is uh, on 568 that they, and, and I think they mean any person capable of honestly facing his problems can recover. 
provided he does not close his mind to spiritual concepts. And this intolerance and belligerent denial, that, that will shut me off from the sunlight of the Spirit in a heartbeat. And it doesn't matter whether I'm being belligerent towards God, spiritual principles, um, or intolerant of, of, of what people are telling me, or whether I'm being uh, uh, intolerant of, of, of people in the workplace, it, those, those, that attitude is what will, will, will cause major problems in my life in a heartbeat. And then I like this. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essential. Well, if they're essential, they're indispensable. And if they're indispensable, they are uh, essential. But he feels the need, and this is not just redundancy, this is redundancy for emphasis. Okay? And uh, uh, those who do not recover, we know who those are too naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Now, all of you know people who can lie a little bit and they can get away with it. Just like I know people who can drink a little bit and and not end up on a spree. Okay? I'm not one of those people. Okay? And that's the reality. And once I accept that that truth, then I can move on. Okay? I don't have to know why he can drink and I can't. She can lie to her husband and I can't lie to my wife. I don't need to know why. All I need to know is that when I do it, life turns to crap. And what whatever the externals or internals of her life may be, I don't need to know. I just know that that won't work for me. Okay? Um... But I like this. I can only be de- de- defeated by my own attitudes. You can't do anything to defeat me from recovery. My former wife could not do anything to prevent me from recovery. She was really angry at the time, and with good cause. But uh, but uh, but that's that I consider to be uh, some really great news. So back over to page uh, twenty-five, where we uh, where we went off uh, uh, a little bit. I'm sorry, uh, I misspoke. Yeah, twenty-five. The next two pages have the story of a certain American businessman, and we will talk a little bit more about the history tomorrow when we get started. Uh, the name of the certain American businessman is 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 Roland Hazard, okay, and he was from a wealthy family, so wealthy in fact that he could afford to go spend a year in uh, Europe working with Doctor Jung, and uh, after after working with Doctor Jung about his alcoholism, he uh, he left in good spirits. I like this. Uh, he uh, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and his hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. On the way home from uh, 
uh, from Zurich. He stopped in Paris, saw some friends. Hey, why don't we have a drink to celebrate your recovery from alcoholism? <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> he goes back, and the doctor tells him the whole truth, that 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 the only way he can uh, he's, he can hope to live is to hire a bodyguard, not to protect him from other people, but a big strong guy that will 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 take the whiskey away from him, okay, or or be locked up. Uh, but he's a free man, and he goes wherever free men can go without disaster. Wow. So if you think you can, I'm on 27, if you think you can do it without spiritual help, here's the rest of what the doctor said. You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent it does in you. Okay? Uh, I've never I've never known a therapist who's, who's claimed, now there may be somebody out there who claims that, that he or she has cured uh, sexaholism. Uh, but I haven't seen it. Says says, are there no exceptions? And and this is what I like. Yes, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. We just read about spiritual experiences, and to me, these phenomenon. I'm sorry, these occurrences are phenomena. And a phenomena means I see it, I observe it, but I can't explain it. Okay, that's the scientific. Meaning, and they appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. And that's what I've been trying to do for you, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. People that are as sick as Roland Hazard was, Bill W., this Bill, Bob, probably Kevin, I've got my suspicions about him too, don't get well without some incredible power greater than themselves. And there's, I just don't know a, a, a therapist gifted enough uh, to, to bring that about for people of our ilk. Then our friend was somewhat relieved because he was a good church member, but the doctor said that while religious convictions were very good, they don't spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Now, I want to look at this description. Huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes that once were the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. What would you call that besides a psychic change, an entire psychic change, a personality change, sufficient to overcome alcoholism or sexaholism. Now, it's just a coincidence that there is a foremost uh, expert in alcoholism on one side of the Atlantic talking about an entire psychic change and one of the most famous 
psychotherapist in the world on the other side of the Atlantic talking about a vital spiritual experience. And when you look at what they mean by that, they mean the same thing. And both of them are saying to the patient, I don't know how to make that happen for you. Okay. If you, if you, if you understand anything about the history of medicine and where doctors, how doctors were viewed in the doctor patient relationship, back around this time of the 1930s. This was tremendous, tremendously humble admission on the parts of these healers for them to say this to a patient. This is what you need and I'm not capable of doing it. And, um, and, and, um, uh, as it goes on now, I'm going to flip the page. That was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which, as we have told you, made him a free man. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the weekend. Is the extraordinary spiritual experience which uh, which makes us free. Um. What I would like uh, uh, to, to suggest is that tomorrow when we come back, we're going to go through uh, the chapter more about alcoholism, which is going to, to, uh, to, to drive home, if any of you have any doubts about your powerlessness over the obsession, that guarantees that you will, you will take the next drink if that obsession is not lifted. Okay? It's not a theory, it's just going to happen. And what we're going to we're going to look at the nature of that and then uh, and we'll be that won't, we aren't going to spend too long on that because shortly thereafter we are going to be in the solution. So, uh, with that, I think we're done and how about uh, uh, we just kind of circle up uh, grasp hands of somebody close to you. We don't need a perfect circle. Um, I'm not sure God cares about geometry. And uh, that's right. He invented it. He can He can do without it. Okay, let's uh, close with the uh, Lord's Prayer. Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. What time are we starting tomorrow? What time do we start tomorrow? Breakfast is at 8. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.